welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys yesterday's recap of the San Antonio Spurs game, but we also have a game tonight, so I'm going to be giving you a preview on the Lakers game as well. So we got a lot of stuff to cram into this one, but just going into the Spurs game we had last night. We were coming into this one at 5-4, Spurs were 5-5, and and the Spurs had two major pieces out in this game. Both DeMar DeRozan, who had been the team's leading scorer at that point, I believe he's dropping like 22 points right now, and then Derek White is also gone, who has been a huge spark off the bench for them. In the bubble, when DeJounte Murray was hurt, Derek White was posting like 20-plus all the time, so him out really... Looked like it would help us out here. And in the first, with those two gone, it didn't seem like an issue at all. Because here's the thing. Five of their first eight points were coming off turnovers. So the defensive pressure that they were applying to us out the gate was helping them big time. And it was through players like Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson who don't play gigantic roles. I think Keldon Johnson plays around 30 minutes. Lonnie Walker, a hair below that. But they're not the focal points. They were the focal points out the gate. They were forcing turnovers for us. And then that's how they were primarily scoring. So I guess technically, without like a, a shot creator like DeRozan, they had to find other ways to score. But they were still getting the numbers that they liked. And for OKC, we were giving up turnovers. And on offense, we were trying to get Baisley hot. And I said in the preview that I thought this was a game that Baisley would kind of tick up and kind of get back to his 18 and 11 self or whatever it was a couple weeks ago. I thought this was going to be the game and early on he had the chances that just weren't falling once again. He shot five times in the first six minutes and he only hit one of those and they were good looks too. So that's why it kind of stung a little bit watching seeing all those balls go short. But Really what we ended up doing after Basie got in a bit of a funk there, we kept abusing high ball screens with Al Horford being our screen setter, and that forced LaMarcus Aldridge onto SGA, and it led to a lot of wide open layups for SGA in that first. I believe he had 8 points on 4-4 shooting. They were all inside, so LaMarcus Aldridge could not keep up with SGA by any means, and He kind of just had to power our offense because we just could not hit that many shots. We started 7 of 16. Luckily, the Spurs started 4 of 15, so looked like we would have the lead going into the second there. But then Trey Lyles, who had to come in due to the injuries, he got moved into the starting rotation. He was getting in on Baisley, and then really at that point, There wasn't a ton going on. What did happen, though, was the Thunder was killing the Spurs in the paint. I told you about Lyles trying to get inside. Wasn't doing it as well as the Thunder. We outscored them 18-6 in the paint in that first quarter alone. But the issue was the Spurs were able to get inside as well. And even though they only had six points in the paint, they found themselves on the line And then in the mid-range game, we were trying to close out and make sure they couldn't get those easy layups inside. Left dudes like Lonnie Walker to just shoot wide-open middies, which he is very, very solid at. And then Patty Mills as well, 
who we know can score from really all three levels. So both of those guys had seven, and the, th the game was tied up at 26 going into the second quarter. And in the second quarter, it's Diallo time. I think that's just what you need to call the opening minutes of the second at this point because he always just goes on these mini streaks for us. And he started out scoring the first four points for us. And then after that, kind of him doing so well, oozed out to some of these other role players. Pokachevsky hit a pull-up jumper in this one. This may have been his best game of the year, and I'll go into that in a bit, but he just looks so confident with this pull-up J. Ends up finding a couple wide-open people for passes. And then other guys were also getting involved. I think we had Roby out there. Maladone was out there. Muscala was out there. And this group of guys allowed us to get the lead back. But only for a short moment. Because the San Antonio Spurs quietly went on a 15-5 run in the second to reclaim the lead. It started with 7 to go in the quarter. Went all the way down to 1 minute in this quarter. And it gave them a double-digit lead by that end of the run, actually. And one reason why they were able to make this huge jump was Isaiah Roby got injured in this second. He pretty much got his wrist sandwiched into the backboard. I think some dude was going up for a block or something. And I guess the ball, or it was either the hand or the ball just smashed his hand up against the backboard. Looked like it turned pretty bad so he was out in the locker room for a little bit he ended up coming back out but it was definitely noticeable that he was gone because Justin Jackson had to fill in the spot and Jackson has not played in a couple games so throwing him back out in the limelight on offense I don't think he was that bad I think he may have had like five points but you can't go from Roby to Justin Jackson and think the defense is going to be the same Roby can guard inside I don't really think Justin Jackson can so what the Spurs did is they just kept abusing the paint because they knew Justin Jackson really would not hold up there and once they started getting the paint and we started trying to go inside like we did in the first quarter they expanded out to the mid-range game, and that's what gave them a 51-43 lead by halftime. And their points were coming from two guys in particular. I was raving about them in the game preview, Keldon Johnson and Lonnie Walker. They both had 11 points by half, pretty much all off of drives. Keldon Johnson only shot 1-3, and then Lonnie Walker, he went 1-3, but... I mean, all his other shots were just drive-in layups. We could not stop them. And then they had other dudes off the bench producing, such as Patty Mills. He had 10 points in 12 minutes for them. For us, though, by halftime, SGA kind of quieted down a bit. I told you guys he had eight in that first. Only had four in the second quarter. But there were still some other guys able to chip in. In replacement, I mean, Diallo had six in his 10 minutes. We had Baisley, who shot two of eight by halftime. He still racked up seven, though. Just really not as much consistency here. Like, they had, I'd say, three guys they could depend on in that first. Johnson, Walker, and Mills. And then for us, 
SGA was the only trusty guy. Like, maybe Diallo, maybe? But he really didn't turn things up in this first half. So, you can kind of tell why the Spurs made such a big jump in that second quarter. But in the third, the Thunder crept back into this game, going on an 11-3 run in the first three and a half minutes to actually tie this game back up. And what led to this? We were just copying and pasting what the Spurs were doing. Drive in over and over, get to the foul line. We got four of those 11 points off the free throw line, and then Baisley got a posterizer dunk down low. That emphatic jam kind of lifted us up and gave us really the momentum to get all 11 of those points. And after that little run of ours, the game slowed back down again. And it was really just back and forth. But then the Spurs just kept chipping away at things down low, trying to assert themselves inside. And we were kind of lacking. Like, we were getting good shots. They just weren't falling. The Spurs were getting the similar types of shots. They were going in. So, if you were just watching this game, you wouldn't have even realized that the Spurs were able to just take a commanding lead again. But they built a lead up to nine in this quarter. And then we trimmed it down. I think we hit like a, a jumper to end the quarter. So it got back down to seven. But the Spurs were still able to just apply themselves and really grind this one out to get that seven point lead going into that fourth. And the reason they were able to get that lead, they were just hitting their shots, like I said. And we were making free throws. They were making field goals. By the end of the third quarter, Nine of our 30 points actually came from the free throw line itself, which is not really where you expect most of these points to come from in an NBA game. So that just kind of shows how weird we were playing in this one. And then from three, I'll have to revert back to this at the end while I'm just recapping everything. We only had 23 pointer attempts by the end of the third, and that is not very common. I'll go into the the little stats on that one in a second though but yeah with this seven point lead the Spurs built up Diallo had to come back in that second and fourth quarter the opening stages that's when he comes in and takes over as our primary scorer does it again scoring four points in the first two minutes just as he did in that second but Lonnie Walker fired right back putting up six points in a span of a minute and really after that it was all about trading shots nobody was missing all the shots were just wide open so <laughs> trying to get any sort of momentum was nearly impossible i'd say the spurs had it i mean the pressure was on us because you know we're the ones trying to dig ourselves out of this near double digit lead anyways this seven point lead was just stuck with six minutes to go, they had a 95-88 to 88 lead. But the Spurs kind of had some mishaps here and there. We dwindled this lead down to four with two minutes to go. Mills hits a layup to extend it to six. And then Darius Baisley had a chance to get it back down to four again. He misses a hop step that makes this seem like the game was just out of reach for us. The reason I say it seemed is because with them being up six with like 40 to go, 
odds are not in our favor. And what really hurt us was Lonnie Walker got the ball. We had to foul him. He hits both free throws. They're up eight with near like 30 seconds left. But here's when the pandemonium kind of starts right here. Because SGA was able to hit a layup to get this lead back down 2-6. And then we get an inbound steal. An inbound steal. And we kick it right back out to Darius Baisley for a wide open three to cut it to three. And he misses it. And that kind of set this one. And that was kind of the dagger right there. That was all she wrote as the Spurs were able to win 112 to 102. The last amount of points that we're getting were just off of a free throw contest pretty much. So didn't really matter there. Just some stat lines from this game though. The stars of the game for the Spurs. Did I not call it you guys? It was Keldon Johnson and Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker dropped 24 in this game on 7 of 15 shooting, 3 of 7 from downtown. Had 3 rebounds, 2 assists, and a block. And then Keldon Johnson, he played close to 40. He had 39 minutes. In those 39 minutes, he had 18 points, 7 boards, an assist, and 2 steals on 6 of 11 shooting. And these guys, looking at it, you're just going to see the points. You're just going to see 24 and 18. Don't do that. Because they were driving in so much, they literally forced us to put our whole defensive game plan around them somehow. And it led to other people like Patty Mills and Rudy Gay being able to drop 17 and 12 respectively from outside. We had to cram the lane because there was a lot of air in the whistles in this one. Monty Walker shot seven free throws and so did Keldon Johnson. And these were true free throws because here's what they were doing. They were getting the ball at the top of the key and just driving right through everybody. These guys were playing like freaking running backs, trucking through our defenders, trying to get inside, and then just jumping into everyone and getting some sort of contact. And when there was no contact, that's when they were just hitting the layup right there. So they never really had to expand their range that much. I mean, there may have been a couple of threes attempted here and there but the majority of their shots were just coming inside and when we have guys being such a threat down low you gotta focus yourself down there because there have been plenty of games where we get killed by the points in the paint and this was yet another game they only dropped 36 points in the paint in this one but they shot 22 free throws. And I would bet that 75% of those 22 must have come from those drives, man. Because it was actually ridiculous seeing how many calls that they were getting. However, for us, we really could not find anyone to be that main dude. SGA was playing their style of ball, just trying to go in. He had 20 points. Nine boards and two assists in 33 minutes. So he was going in, and since everyone was swarming the paint, he couldn't really pass the ball out. So not a ton of other guys being able to chip in. We did have six players, including SGA and double figures. Those guys were George Hill, Al Horford, Dort, Baisley, and Diallo. But the only one who really shot efficiently out of those five 
was Hamadou Diallo. He was 5 of 9 on 16 points, 2 boards, and 3 assists. I said that I didn't think he'd drop more than 16 in the preview. He only dropped 16, so there you go. If I'm being honest, though, I really didn't think he'd have 16 just due to Johnson and um, Johnson and Walker there. But he found a way, and he's looking so solid. If he's able to do this against some of the best defenders at their positions, I'm not going to say best of the best, but these are some underrated, true defensive masters, and he's dropping 16. I can't wait to see what he's going to do on some of these lower-level teams when we start playing them again, you know? But... He did well with Baisley, 4 of 14, not that great. This was the one where he was supposed to take the keys to the offense. Tried, uh, just wasn't really working for him. Maybe he had the wrong set of keys or something. Lou Dort, 4 of 11, he was 3 of 6 from 3. He was one, he chipped in 3 of our 7 3 balls that went in. So, I'll go into that. But, I mean, he was finding it from distance. Inside, I don't really blame him for not being able to hit because of just everyone trying to be in the paint. But yeah, Al Horford, not his best game. 5 of 13 just to get those 10 points and 7 rebounds. He had 3 assists, but whenever you're kind of thrown in that situation like Horford is, where you're at such a disadvantage athletically, you need to be able to shoot the ball. And he was 0 of 4 from downtown. And George Hill... Even though he dropped 12 points, he kind of took this role that SGA was doing as well. He only shot a three ball once, and he was the best, percentage-wise, the best three-point shooter in the NBA last year. He wasn't trying to take it, so he was penetrating. He got three layups, and then he had six free throws, so mash those together, you get yourself 12 points. Other people beyond that, though, didn't really have much of an impact. Roby was solid. Uh, four points, six rebounds in 14 minutes. Pokachevsky, who I'll, I'll backtrack a bit because I do think this was probably the best game he has had so far. But, um, yeah, and the reason I'm saying that is because there were so many flashes here. He hit a pull-up jumper, and then he ends up getting some great passes. I think he has some screens set for him, and he always makes good reads in the high pick and roll, believe it or not. I think he threw like a cutting pass to Justin Jackson or something of all people. So that's where he got some of his points. Looks like he kind of shirt things up. We've seen him have the turnover bug countless times. He had a travel the first time he touched it in this one. But after that, he was really, really cool. And even in the catch and shoot where he wasn't dribbling, he was just popping it right away if it was open he was trying to trying to get some points up on the board so with him I never really read into the points rebounds assists whatever you want to call it I just want to look at the confidence level I saw him shoot the ball six times in this one that's a W in my book for Poke Ochevsky Mike Muscala was really quiet one of four shooting one of three from downtown maybe it's that rib it's still killing him I'm not too sure, though. And then, I guess to wrap things up, we got Teo Maladone. 2 of 5. He always seems to be shooting around there for some reason. It's kind of weird how every game is like that for him. But, yeah, 4 points, 2 boards, an assist, and then 3 turnovers. 
And one of the bugs that we had was actually just turning the ball over. We had in total 13 turnovers. And what does that lead to? That leads to points off turnovers. The Spurs had 26 points off our 13 turnovers. And we only had 2 points off their turnovers. That was the decisive factor in this game. And that's just why we were not able to get back in this one. And normally, I'd pin this to something like, Oh, free throws. The Spurs shot 22 free throws. And the crew had Ed Malloy and Laura Holkamp in it, who I don't know what your guys' opinion of them are, but I just remember Ed Malloy. I forgot what playoff series it was. I just remember him being really bad. At least he wasn't in our favor. Can never get him out of my mind. The only thing I the only thing I think of with Laura Holkamp is that whole CP3 situation. So I really don't know. Uh, I really have never been glued on to her, so I can't really tell you how good of a ref is. That's just what I've heard from that whole CB3 ordeal when he was back in LA, but whatever. I can't pin it on them, because we actually shot more free throws. We shot 29 free throws in this one. I think something that I can attribute it to, though, is just our weird game plan. And we average close to 43 balls a game, and in this one, we only shot 26 threes. And maybe it's because the Spurs could never stop our penetrations in this one, since we were only one or two possessions away from taking it just solely off of drives. But we kind of need to keep the defense guessing, and we never were able to do it. SGA didn't even shoot a three ball in this game, and this comes after a game where he was killing it from downtown. I think he in this road trip, he was shot like three of three, from deep multiple times so the fact he didn't shoot it a little bit weird to me DeJounte Murray is a good perimeter defender but you still gotta shoot it when you have the chance Baisley shot it seven times only hit twice Horford as I stated oh of four Jackson Justin Jackson he was one of two just all this stuff combined we weren't trying to take it a lot and we ultimately were only seven of 26 from three so just 27 percent there not what you want to be seen so i think that's something we will need to work on and that is something that we can work on tonight because luckily we have a game against the lakers at 7 p.m central time and i'll tell you this the lakers are a much tougher opponent than san antonio but you can really never rule out this Oklahoma City Thunder team. We expected them to be bottom of the standings. These guys are on the outside looking in at the playoffs right now. They're number nine in the conference. But Lakers, defending champs, still are number one in the NBA right now. They are sitting at nine and three. They have six players scoring in double figures on average. And then the duo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going nuts. I think both of them are dropping 20 points respectively. I think LeBron's averaging about 24 and then with Davis you're dropping about 22. However, we may not be facing both of LA's duo here because we have one dude we know is going to be gone. That's Wesley Matthews and then Anthony Davis is questionable 
forget this, a jam toe. Like, I have not heard of that one before. He was actually listed as questionable in the last game they played against the Rockets for a jam toe. He played in that one. You know, maybe kind of re-aggravated that jam toe against the Rockets. He may have to sit this one out. We'll see. Think if he's out, it changes things. But in these last three, we've always had stars like Davis, DeRozan, Kyrie sitting out. This time, we actually may have to give someone up in this deal now. Because we already know Ty Jerome's out. We know Ariz is gone. But Al Horford is kind of questionable here. He ended up resting in our first back-to-back in the season. I think it was like against Orlando or whatever. He never played. Maybe we could see the same thing with him. I mean, he's already 34 years old. Maybe he needs to kind of get back to himself, get that little rest day in. It's cool with me, but it's going to lead to a lot of different rotations in this one if he ends up doing that. The real difference amongst these two teams when you're looking at the injuries and how they can kind of recoup from them, the Lakers are just stacked at pretty much every position off the bench. You got Dennis Schroeder, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, and Montrez Harrell just on the bench alone. That's a starting lineup in the NBA, and that's not even like a bottom-of-the-barrel team either. So they can patch up two injuries just fine in Wesley Matthews in AD if he is gone. But with us, if Al Horford is gone, we're going to be looking at another game where Isaiah Roby and Mike Muscala are all over the place at the five. And Mike Muscala didn't seem like he had everything figured out in our last game. Maybe it's due to the rib injury. He took that little blow over the weekend to the rib. But... If that's the case and maybe he's not playing a lot, it's going to be Roby playing a ton of minutes again. And he's going to be up against Anthony Davis, Montrez Harrell, or Marcus Gasol. And I think likely he'd be up against Montrez Harrell in this one. And I think when you take all this stuff into account, it makes the game plan we should be deploying very obvious. We need to be going back to jacking up 43s. And I don't care if we're shooting like bad percentages. We just can't win the inside battle against this Lakers squad. Just due to us likely not having a true 5 with us. I'm kind of anticipating this one being a game where all of our young players and rookies are playing for the majority of of the second half. If I'm looking at who's kind of going to star here, I'm looking at Hamadou Diallo again. This dude is going off game after game after game. And I'm going to be making a segment dedicated to him in the next couple of days. Haven't done it because I got a back-to-back to be talking about. But maybe in one of our off days, I'll do a little segment just solely on him. But with Matthews out, they have Contavious Caldwell-Pope starting. And behind him, it's going to be Alex Caruso or Taylor Horton Tucker. And look, I think Taylor Horton Tucker is a good perimeter defender and maybe even interior defender. I just doubt Diallo is going to have an issue in this because in the last one, didn't have an issue against Johnson or Walker or whoever you wanted to throw on him. 
I don't really see Taylor Horton Tucker as that big of a threat when you stack him up against the guys that he has been facing against. I'm not going to give the exact number here, but he should be top three in scoring. That's just the way I think. I think he's going to be playing 25 plus minutes, maybe even cracking the 30 minute mark, depending on how the first half goes. But he's just going to be one of the big time guys off the bench. And he's probably going to be playing with the starters and closing the game out for us. If I'm going to get my inner genie going on. That's my prediction there. And then with Isaiah Roby, he's also going to have a chance to have a big role in this one. He's definitely going to get the minutes, as I explained. However, I think that Montrezl Harrell pretty much can stop everything Isaiah Roby does. You know, he's a good high pick and roll screener, and then he can roll in. Then he can pop out a bit. Montrez Harrell is also six foot nine, but he has 30 pounds of more muscle and he still has that same speed. So he can cover as much ground as Roby can. If Roby wants to set a high ball screen and drive in, cool. Montrez Harrell can hedge and follow him back. So Harrell's going to be fine with Roby trying to roll in. And if he's trying to pop out, Harrell may just let him shoot the ball. Or he may, over, may go over and try to contest it because he definitely can do that. And then looking at the other side of things with Harrell on the offensive end and Roby trying to defend him, that 30 pounds of extra muscle for Harrell is going to come into play. He's one of the best interior scorers in the league. He's probably better than the guys that we've played thus far. Like Aaron Gordon, Julius Randle. I'd probably say that Harrell's better than Aaron Gordon is and at that same level as Randall maybe even a bit better there's a reason this guy was the sixth man of the year last year even though it obviously should have went to Dennis Schroeder but it was because he can crash the glass he can smack the crap out of your shots and then he can score inside so he's going to be trying to bully Roby down low to get points I think it will be a test for Roby, and he's shown that he can play defense on some top-level opponents, but Harrell is just a different beast that he has just not faced off against yet. And then Baisley, he's been pretty quiet in these past few games. He'll be faced up on Kuzma or Morris if Davis is out. I'd kind of side with Bays if that were the case, if he only had to deal with that of Kuzma and Morris. He's just shown a little bit of inconsistency. I think it was like 4 of 14 in our last game. And then there's been multiple games where he shot the ball 14 times and made less than 5. So he'll need to get things back together. I think he'll be playing a lot. Then same thing with these other rookies. I think Maladone and Poku will get the chances. Moses Brown may even get called up because we don't have a real center right now. Especially if Muscala's hurting. And then Josh Hall. Two-way contract player, small forward, why not throw him out in the end? I mean, we have when games have gotten out of hand. I'm not calling this one out of hand. I'm just saying it could very well be a possibility. We are already tired, and the Lakers have so many good players on the starting unit and on the bench. So they have firepower all over the place. We're going to have some exhausted players, and they might be able to take the fire out of us in this one so I got the Lakers winning and I'm not gonna say how much if I had to estimate I'd probably say like 20 points just due to 
us coming off this back-to-back. But yeah, other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you guys later. See ya.